the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together as always. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and sign up there for the daily email, the daily wink. What you need to know, daily wink is there, available every morning if you sign up for the daily wink. We will email you at 8 a.m. East Coast, 5 a.m. Pacific time and all the times in between. And lots of folks get it. Actually, I've got somebody who just emailed me from Poland, someone from Poland who get I guess they get it. Let's see, six hours ahead. So they get it at uh, two in the afternoon. So there you have it. So I get the wink. Get signed up. ProAmericaReport.com. All right. Today, in a few moments, we'll talk with Hugh Brown. Hugh Brown is the executive vice president of of, um, American Life League, ALL.org. And I actually have gotten really excited about this uh, gentleman and his work because they are putting a, a focus on Planned Parenthood. And Planned Parenthood recently uh, released their t- uh, 2021-22 annual report. Uh, that's right. And it shows all their spending and all their thing. And one of the key things that uh, Hugh Brown flagged uh, was that they used the word relentless. Relentless. They're relentless to end life. Quite a thing. And relentless to make money off of taxpayers. So we'll talk with you about that. But first, what you need to know, what you need to know today, you know, I'm trying to fine tune something. I call it my 80-20 theory, 80-20. And 80-20 theory, and I got to get this fine tuned, but I've been trying it. I think you'll understand what I mean. When something goes wrong and something is off and you say, well, how did that happen? You can pretty much assure yourself that 80% is incompetence, 20% is bad actors. You know, 80% is incompetence. People just have bad judgment, uh, bad follow-through, bad whatever, and 20% is bad actors. And so, for example, when I watch the coverage and when I look closely at at the prosecutions of January 6th, I say to myself, were were those cops in on the, the, you know, instigation? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I go 80-20. 80% of the people involved on January uh, 6th, I'm talking now about the people who you know are supposed to maintain control and, and manage it. 80% are doing their job. 20% bad actors. Because there's so much evidence that the people in charge, the people with power, Nancy Pelosi and others, did not heed general practices for how these things work. And what happens? In fact, again, I don't think that 80%, I don't think anybody, 80% did anything at all, but 20%, I think, put themselves in a position where bad things could happen. Now, having said that, I also think that 80% of the people that gathered for January 6th were good people, and 20% were not. not. They were bad actors. Some were people that just got out of control, couldn't control themselves. Some were probably paid informants or leftists or whatever. I don't have any, uh, but I, I just, my point is most of the time, the answer is 80-20. And especially when it comes to the question of a sort of how things got so bad. And what I mean by this is also sometimes the 80% 
are people that go along with what's happening because they've been convinced. I meet people all the time that tell me that January 6th was an armed insurrection. And they don't have any evidence of the armed part. They don't have any evidence of the insurrection part. They don't have any evidence of any of it. But they've been hearing it so much from the narrative machine that they believe it. And when I watch the prosecutors and the press, and they've sort of entered into this uh, mindset of January 6th and what they think of the people and how they act, I think to myself, 20% are bad actors, really bad people that are doing that. But 80% have just been swept along. And they're going through these motions. But I got to tell you something, watching these trials and watching the impact and how they're doing it, you know, you some of these people have to be convinced of their righteousness because what they're doing, if you pause and see it, is really pretty terrible. It's really pretty terrible. I mean, one, one of the most glaring aspects of this is that it's, it's really impossible to make a good, coherent argument about the jury pool in Washington. The jury pool, Washington, D.C., which is where the federal district court draws their their uh, their jury from. It's a few hundred thousand registered voters. I forget, maybe six hundred thousand, five hundred thousand. And they've just been so uh, the message has been so uh, roundly and soundly delivered of what happened that it's just impossible. And it should be objectionable to normal people. To have a system where we don't have a jury of your peers and we don't have and you don't have a real chance to do that. It should be more objectionable, even or especially to liberals. But they don't object and they don't uh, think it's a problem because, you know, they've been swept along to think it is something it's not. And that's 80-20 rule. Now, this is not a perfect system yet. I'm working on it, but I'm just trying to. You know, as I was explaining to someone, we saw something that was poorly, well, poorly done, something that was, I can't say what right now, improperly done. And I said, look, a lot of that, the easiest explanation is incompetence. 80% of the time it's incompetence. Could be bad actors, but I think it might be incompetence. So try that out if you see what I'm getting at and uh, let me know what you think. All right. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment with uh, Hugh Brown and a lot more. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report, catching up with my friend, Hugh Brown. And I should actually say, I don't, Hugh, I don't know if this has ever happened. Uh, one of my guests on the show, and I think that's how it started. Of course, I know of your mom and your late father and uh, Jim Sedlak, uh, the late Jim Sedlak, who we'll mention here, was on the program. But then after you came on and we've been in touch, and actually I'm, I'm telling my listeners, I'm, I'm actually working with uh, Hugh Brown and his crew to do some things to help the pro-life movement. So I don't know that that's happened before. So it's, it's very cool. And the topic today uh, we're actually going to talk to Katie Brown who's one of the uh, leaders at the organization American Life League ALL.org uh, but we're actually talking about Planned Parenthood and one of the great shames of this uh, period as the uh, Joe Biden uh, President Biden a so-called supposed referred self-referential Catholic um, has you know just transferred massive amounts of money to Planned Parenthood and Planned Parenthood is uh, running amok the only thing going better uh, for the left than uh, Planned Parenthood is the borders wide open. So the Planned Parenthood is running amok and so are as our southern border. But uh, Hugh Brown is the executive vice president over at the American Life League. And uh, one of the things that the American Life League has done 
for decades with the help of uh, the very, very well-respected Jim Sedlak, the late Jim Sedlak, is keep an eye on Planned Parenthood and understand what they're doing. So the 2021-2022 annual report, Hugh, is out, Planned Parenthood. The thing that struck me in the release you guys sent out was they love to use the word, it's fascinating, relentless, uh, over and over again in their report that they're going to be relentless in pursuing abortion. I hate to say it, but that's kind of, they're successful at that. A lot of other people that are pro-life and groups, they, they're not so relentless. Planned Parenthood is relentless. You have to respect it, even if you know it's a killing machine. Oh, there's no question, Ed. They are very much uh, waving their banner from the mountaintop that they are very proud of the killing that they do. Mm. You know, they are uh, just an insidious organization. And, you know, I think that the number this year, um, 370,000 people is more than the population of you know a lot of cities in the United States. I mean, I was trying to find a correlation. I know it's more than the city of Pittsburgh. Um, mm-hmm. uh, th- that's what they kill every single year. And now, of course, we have to trust their reporting, right? Right. Um, right. Would you trust the devil to give you uh, an accurate report? <laughs> uh, maybe yeah. you wouldn't, right? <laughs> Not I mean, so much. Not yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that stood out to me, um, you, you hate to compare dollars to lives, right? I mean, mm-hmm. one, you know, I tell when, when when folks ask me about money, you know, I mean, the, when Peter asked Christ about it, he told him to go grab a fish and take a coin out of the fish's mouth. That's what Christ thought of money. Right. But, you know, money allows organizations to do things and to have influence. And, you know, these people brought in $1.8 million per day of tax revenue, meaning your money and my money. $1.8 wow. a total of $670 million. Wow. And that's just a staggering. It's an all-time high. And so when they say they're relentless, they're relentless because they 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 have the ability to be relentless and they have the ability uh to be as well-funded as any any machine on the planet and they're focused on killing and uh their emphasis now when they say relentless of focusing on gender transitioning yeah. for children. Yeah. The reason they do that it's a business decision, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a child that uh you're going to force this upon, uh he or she is going to have to take those hormones for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. The rest of their lives, rather. And so that means they're going to be a lifetime customer coming to get their shots and their pills and, and the other treatments from Planned Parenthood, which I'm sure we're subsidizing as well, right? Because the government's yeah. pretty good at um, uh, lying and hiding money, that's for sure. Well, and we're talking with uh, Hugh Brown again and uh, talking about Planned Parenthood in the recent report and and uh, and what um, Stop International, which is a project, uh, a watchdog group of of the American Life League, ALL.org, uh, to check out all this stuff. But you, know, you mentioned, by the way, St. Louis, my home, my home city uh, for decades uh, was 320,000 people there. So as you point out, it's a, there's lots of cities you can compare it to. Uh, the, the metro area in St. Louis is more like 1.5 million, but the actual city is there. So but, you know, Hugh, you just said something. There's a point where, um, uh, I don't know how to say this except to be point blank greed and, you know, killing come together because it's actually a big money maker. I mean, when you talk about that number, you know, record number of tax dollars going to Planned Parenthood, that's just what we know. Like, I mean, you know, there's plenty of money going to in, in my home city, Washington University uh, in St. Louis. There, the, the, uh, the medical center there is doing this transgender surgery. There's money flowing in. I mean, the, the, in other words, the in and around Planned Parenthood, the, the money, uh, aspect of this, you know, there's a lot of people who are making a great living 
and they and they probably tell themselves, well, I'm I'm one of the ones I'm educating about. You know, I'm, I'm trying to help people. I mean, we're trying to, you know, we really care about people. The the money machine is massive, and it's fundamentally a killing machine. Oh, there's no look. There, there's no doubt, and I, you know, I've made the comment, Ed, that you know, when when these people, you know, go home every night. The people that work for Planned Parenthood, the people that sit on the board of Planned Parenthood, the people that run the various uh, affiliates around the nation, when they go home at night, right, they go to homes that are paid for with blood money, right? They drive home in cars that are paid for in blood money. Uh, They take their vacations with blood money. It is an absolute um, uh, shame. I mean, I can't even think of the term. It's shameful. It is um, uh, almost unbearable. And the world is just numb. The world is numb to, uh, I think, the killing the world is numb to the uh, basic extortion of our tax dollars. The world is numb to the reality of what is actually happening. And, you know, you have to ask yourselves why. And I, I think that you have the devil unleashed. I think that there is just tremendous amounts of, of, of deception and evil in our midst. And we have to stand up against it, as you and I have said in the past, if not us, who? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. important in just the brief time we have together to talk about it to share the information we have with those that are listening right now. What can somebody sitting there do about it? The first thing they can do is pray. The second thing they can do is make sure that you vote for the right people, right? Mm-hmm. And because it does matter. I don't think there's a political solution to abortion because, as I've said, you could outlaw it tomorrow. It's their, this other this other relentless side is still going to do it and then dare you to arrest them, dare mm-hmm. you to stop them, right. right? So we have to continue to educate and work to have human beings understand the absolute simplest of realities, which is a baby in the womb is a human being. It's not that complicated. From day one, God willing to live 100 years. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is a human being, just like you listening to, to us talking now, no different than you. Right. So until people actually value life, and the only way to do that is to continue to tell the truth, and that's what we're doing right now. Uh, one of the one of uh, um, uh, the uh, leaders over at the American Life League, Rita Diller, who is the one who put this out, she's quoted in this press release. So I'll put up on social media. A- April twenty fourth, just a, a few uh, weeks ago, um, twenty twenty three. This is when the uh, Planned Parenthood uh, released their annual report. So you can see all this. She goes she goes through it and and, and you know two point four million dollar education uh, uh, video views, a million sessions on decision making uh, for quizzes. Now this is what Planned Parenthood's doing. One hundred fifty four thousand conversations with live health educators, 204,000 conversations with sex ed chat uh, robots and 200 million visits to their main website. You know, I, again, uh, Hugh Brown is our guest, executive vice president of American Life League. ALL.org is their website. It's the, the thing is, you know, it's kind of like um, and I know uh, we've talked before. You're, you're a coach and you you love to compete. It's kind of like if you can flood the zone you, you, it's, it's very difficult for people to even kind of breathe, you know? So what you see when you, when, when, when Rita and others in this, uh, talk about relentless and the word is used so often in the Planned Parenthood report, that's the problem. And, and, you know, we can say, well, goodness will win out and, you know, we got good families and we were praying and all, but we're watching this flooding of the zone. And the haunting part to me, among other things, is how much of it is done with our own money. Our own tax dollars and almost with our own, you know, I remember when I was at a, at a, 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 a job and, and they came around, they said, you know, you've got to give to uh, the United Way. 
And and a bunch of us were like, we're not giving to the United Way. They we want a hundred percent participation in our company, and we we're like, we're not giving the United Way. They give money to over to Planned Parenthood. We're not doing it. It was a big fight. But you know, that's just a little example of how we're all pulled along, and pro life leaders are in office going, oh, there's nothing we can do. You know, we just gotta keep going. The budget's gonna be the budget. Well, when's it gonna stop? Well, that's you know, I, I guess that's a question that that uh, many of us you know, struggle <laughs> right. with when, right. when you, when you look at the reality of who they are. But again, I come back to we, this, you know, sometimes, you know, in life, you get what you ask for, right? I right. mean, I think St. John Hughes said that, you know, bad priests are essentially the result of, of God's people, you know, not doing his will. You kind of get what you ask for. Mm-hmm. And we've allowed Planned Parenthood to become what it is. We just can't allow it, right? You have to, it, it, again, it comes down uh, to, to not just uh, voting and making sure that we get the right people in office, but it is spiritual warfare. You know, Padre Pio back during World War II said, if you could see what he sees, he could see demons, that it darkens the sky. Mm-hmm. Right? So how worse is that now? Mm-hmm. Um, they're here, right? They're here. So we have to war against them spiritually. You have to have faith. I think God's people have to be more committed to warring spiritually against them, prayer, fasting, adoration, all the things necessary um, to go to war, you know, and uh, it, it just comes down to not relenting. You know, if they want to be relentless, well, I think God's people are, are, are far more relentless. And I think we just have to continue to work and pray and educate and battle things like you just pointed out, Ed, the, I mean, staggering numbers, right? 2.4 million educational video views. That's a lot. That's a lot. They got a, they got their own sex ed chat robot. I mean, imagine that two hundred four thousand conversations. Imagine your teenage son on the end of that conversation. Yeah, and 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 and, that, and that's only what they're admitting, or that they can, you know, they're, they're, you know as you and I both know, they especially a digital. Um, uh, Hugh Brown is our guest. Um, one thing that I noticed in the in the literature, AL dot org is a website again, American Life League. Um, this. It's been almost nine months, maybe almost ten months now since Roe was overturned, uh, Hugh and. And, you know, that's a big deal. And one of the things that's a big deal, as you point out, even if there's not one, even if there is not one fewer abortion, it's better to live in a land where we don't have this, you know, crazed uh, privacy right that means that you can demand abortion. So it's a big deal. And as you and I've talked about, we've got to work our culture of life and all that. But how do you feel, Hugh? You know, again, your mom and dad were some of the early you know, pioneers of the pro-life movement. And now we're, you know, they probably would have, you know, prayed for the day that Roe v. Wade's reverse. And here we are. But how do you feel now, nine months after in terms of where we go next and watching the media say, Oh, you know, uh, conservatives, uh, you know, Republicans, conservatives, they better not talk too much about abortion. They'll never win elections. I, we're kind of back to that again. It's like, so, but uh, you know, what's your, what's your sense about where the movement is now and maybe where it's going? So I, I think that when Roe versus Wade was defeated, it was the undoing of one of the most grave injustices in this nation's history. It was an unjust decision. It was a decision that brought about the deaths of 68 million people um, and, you know, good riddance. So now when they put the, the issue of abortion back to the states, we have to very clearly and, and, and continuously work to help people understand that you're talking about a human being, right? And that the, the, people say there isn't a simple answer. Well, actually, there is. 
there is a simple answer. You're talking about a human being, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, our, our forefathers and the people before us, even without technology, knew that, right? And it's as simple as when, you know, a woman becomes pregnant and, you know, she's excited that she's going to have a baby. There's all these things that, that you do to protect mm-hmm. your unborn child. It's not your unborn fetus, right? Right. It's, it's a fetus or it's a clump of cells when somebody's in an inconvenienced situation. So we have to continue to relentlessly pursue the truth of life. And when people understand that, and it has to come to be able, we have to be able to go into the places where they are. We have to be able to speak to people where they are. And there just has to be the understanding that you're dealing with life. And until we, until that connection is made, people are going to rationalize anything. As you said, you know, they're murdering 370 million, 370,000 people a year. They've killed more people now than died in the Holocaust. Um, yeah. And they're proud about it. You know, they've yeah. murdered over 7 million people. They don't care. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and they've is. gotten rich doing it. <laughs> right, right. Right. Exactly. That's the, that's the most, uh, that's the most haunting thing about, about it to me is the, is the, um, is the cult, the, the, the reward. Uh, and, and it's a hollow reward. I admit you said it earlier, you know, it's hollow. Uh, but you look around and, you know, I hate to be this, um, uh, this uh, jaded, but inflation's hitting everybody. Well, I guarantee you that Planned Parenthood, they're, they're, you know, they're going to take care of their people and i you know uh, and one of the great uh, problems about the size and scope of government is is it continues to sort of fund uh people who want to rely on that as opposed to people that want to build a business or or start in uh you know a, a movement and whatever it is and so uh all right hugh i i gotta run hugh brown all.org uh thank you for coming on and uh, being in the fight i i have enjoyed it and i'm looking forward to doing more with you so thanks you thank you ed all right, we will Every take day. a break. I will, yep, I will put that up on social media, a link to uh, that press release as well as some of the other stuff that I saw of there. Uh, Stop International is the name of the effort to uh, focus on Planned Parenthood, shine a light on them. Very effective and important. So we will take a break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. I've been looking forward to this interview. My listeners uh, know, Glenn, that I'm a big fan of books. I love reading and all, but I, I got this book. It's a Post Hill Press book, one of my favorite publishers, uh, Anthony Zaccardi and those guys. And um, because it's 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 not that it's funny. It's amazing to me. I, I have only been to Aspen, Colorado once, but it's got a, a it's got a kind of um, uh, aura about it as a place that people go. And it is really nice to be there. I was there in the uh, in the non winter. I don't know if it was the spring or uh, all the way into the summer. It was not hot, um, but it, there was no there was no snow on the ground anyway. So, well, our, our guest is uh, Glenn Beaton uh, and Glenn Beaton was a columnist at the Aspen Times uh, for almost, uh, I guess, seven or eight years. And he got fired uh, by email uh, on Christmas Eve. That's also a fun part of the story. He he had practiced law. He'd been uh, an engineer. He'd done all kinds of things before. Well, he's written a book on this uh, experience and it also um, it, it all his columns, what he's written and about Aspen. There's a sort of cautionary tale about uh, a city changing dramatically. So first of all, welcome, uh, Glenn Beaton. How are you, sir? Good morning, Ed. Good to be here. Now you were you if you were um these other things you practice law and uh, at a high level uh, engineer you'd been a writer of some uh but had you written um 
in your li- in your life and career, when you started writing for the Aspen Times, I believe it was a weekly column. Correct me if I'm wrong. And you, but had you written like that in your life? Because that's it takes a a, a a discipline. It's harder than people think to week in and week out write a column. No, I hadn't written that sort of format before. Uh, I did a lot of writing, obviously, as a lawyer. I practiced appellate law, uh, in, including up to the Supreme Court. So I was acquainted with how to write briefs. But I didn't know much about how to write a newspaper column, other than having read a lot of newspaper columns. It kind of came naturally, though. The thing about a newspaper column is you're word limited. Typically, you're limited to seven, right. 800, maybe mm-hmm. 900 words. And so that brings a certain discipline to the writing. I was acquainted with that because as a lawyer, you're limited in the number of pages that a brief can be. You know, you can be 11 pages or 14 pages, whatever. The right, 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 right. That's on that particular on that particular motion. So you learn a real economy of words. And that's something I pride myself on now. Uh, I like to think every word tells. I yeah. don't do uh, a lot of roundabout. <laughs> There's not a lot of circumlocution. Uh, yeah. It's very direct and uh, compact the way I write. I like it. It's one of my favorite activities. I I see it more as a hobby than anything else, but it's a hobby I love. And that's what got me interested in the book when a publisher approached me actually with the idea for the book. Uh, and I'm sorry, I did all that. I'm just talking and talking. Our guest is Glenn Beaton, the author. His book is called High Attitude, High Attitude, uh, The Liberal Takeover of Aspen, uh, Post Hill Press, uh, April of 2023, just out uh, a few weeks. Um, and all right. So you're writing this weekly column. You, you, you did you formally, I forget in the, in the, I remember reading that you, you retired ish. Um, were you totally retired? So now you're retired and you're sort of relaxing and settling in and you're writing a column. Um, but it got, uh, popular slash controversial quickly. Is that safe to say? Yeah, it got uh, controversial pretty quickly. I was, uh, I filled in for a friend who was writing sort of a token conservative guest column for the Aspen Times. She ultimately went on to bigger and better things. But uh, I was intended to kind of take her place as a token conservative. Uh, You know, the... uh, I like to analogize to the Harlem Globetrotters. Remember, there was this poor team they played, uh, yeah, the Washington, yeah. Washington Generals, I think they were right. called. Right. Well, the Washington Generals' uh, whole role in life was to lose every game to the Harlem Globetrotters. So I was supposed to be the Washington Generals to the rest of the newspapers, uh, Harlem Globetrotters. I was never supposed to win. But the thing took off. Readers really liked the column. And after a while, it was generating more clicks than front page news, which isn't saying that much. It's a small newspaper. But still, uh, the thing really took off and people loved it. The editors and the Aspen establishment, not so much, though, because I... I came at it from a conservative angle, and I was supposed to be a token conservative, not a successful conservative. So that's the story that led up to my uh, Christmas Eve firing by email. Yeah. So, so uh, again, high attitude, the liberal takeover of Aspen. Uh, Glenn Beaton is the author. And let me make sure to uh, alert you that uh, he, he is continuing writing, even though they stopped him from writing for the paper. He at the Aspenbeat.com, the Aspenbeat.com. You'll see his writing. Writings there and uh, and currently he's got something posted just from a few days ago. Um, so uh, now talk about Aspen. You're you're as a it's a different thing to be a writer. Every week you got to write on something. You're writing on people. You're writing on uh, policies. Writing on politics. What's the 
Did Aspen change dramatically in your time there, or were you sort of arriving at a time when Aspen had already changed? And I guess maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe Aspen didn't change, but I suspect like a lot of places, it was more normal. And over time, it became very, very liberal because Aspen would, well, describe it now. Is it, isn't it, 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 it feels stereotypically to say it's like one of these crazy liberal bastions of wealth. Yeah, it is. Uh, maybe the craziest, most <laughs> liberal, and most wealthy of those bastions that I can think of. The place is just over the top in terms of, of wealth. You know, housing goes for somewhere between uh, four and six thousand. Uh, dollars a square foot. Wow. So, you know, you're looking for or you're looking at a thousand square foot condo for four million bucks. Wow. It hasn't always been that way. Uh, yes, where it was at the time that I moved there, that was uh, <laughs> 14 years ago. Right. It had already started uh, far down that sordid path. Uh, it's just gotten worse now in degree, not really in nature. But the change was really back in probably the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Hmm. The place obviously was conservative to begin with. It was a silver mining town. You know, what's going to be more conservative than that? And then it became a ghost town for the first part of the 20th century. And then it was refounded in a very interesting way by a Chicago industrialist named Walter Pepke and his wife, Elizabeth. They were German uh, immigrants, very, very successful with a company called Container Corporation of America. Hmm. Anyway, they fell in love with the place, came out here, bought up about half the land just by paying back taxes and linked up with a bunch of veterans. This was just after World War II, a bunch of veterans from the 10th Mountain Division and started Aspen Skiing Company. I see. Wow. Wow. So that's we got that. So that's you're talking really about um, 60 or 70 years since the new Aspen. All right. But so now it gets richer and richer and gets more and more liberal. But but are the politics liberal? Sometimes rich people, when they have a place like this, they, they want to lock it down. And maybe they did. I mean, what did you find? Uh, what are the politics there? The politics are extremely liberal. <laughs> Just to give you one example, uh, Colorado legalized marijuana, I remember, uh, what, five or six years ago or something. Right. The vote uh, statewide was relatively close. It wasn't a uh, barn burner, but I think it was something like 55, 45. In Aspen, it was 80, 20. <laughs> the, sheriff, uh, the sheriff for Pitkin County, which includes Aspen, has always been pro-drug, pro-legalization, basically pro-drug. The the one uh, Bob Broadus uh, had to check into a rehab clinic at one point. Uh, He he advocated the legalization of all drugs, including heroin, fentanyl, you name it. The DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, you know, they they conduct drug raids in Aspen as well as everywhere else. But it's interesting that when the DEA conducts a drug raid, normally they give a heads up to local law enforcement just so they know what's coming down. They don't do that in Aspen. (laughs) Because they can't trust them not to tell the drug dealers? Exactly. Wow. And there have been several instances where it very much looks like the drug dealers got tipped off. Wow, that's amazing. That, that that's a that's a fan that that is the best example uh, of that. Um I wanted to ask I, I was fascinated by again the book is High Attitude. Um the the chapter you wrote on um 
the the uh, I, I how to say the econ- I think I say the economy of skiing. It turns out skiing's not a it's not a very good business, right? And Aspen and a lot of these places, therefore, it's not the skiing; it's the real estate around the skiing that matters, right? I mean that and 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 all that goes with it. And that that was interesting to me in terms of who becomes the players in a town because it's not it's not the outdoorsmen then who care. Uh, it's the guys and gals running the businesses and putting in the five star hotels and the and the high end restaurants, right? Yeah, that's right. Skiing isn't really a huge business. It's not nearly as big as you might think based on the publicity that it gets. Aspen Skiing Company uh, does maybe $100 million a year. You know, that's not a huge business. It's owned by the Crown family, a very wealthy family out of Chicago that also owns General Dynamics. So uh, Aspen Skiing Company is not the largest jewel in the Crown's crown. Right. The uh, uh, we're again we're well I, I like what we did there uh, we're uh, we're talking with Glenn Beaton and his book uh, is uh, from uh, excuse me from Post Hill Press and uh, it's called High Attitude the Liberal Takeover of Aspen I'm I'm trying to find my notes yeah I I, I wanted to get this this one um, Hunter Thompson made this famous trip to. Aspen, right? I mean, Hunter Thompson seemed to just make famous trips. He go, he's like the, he was like the uh, more, um, I don't know how to say it. He was, uh, he was living out a kind of um, a Hemingway esque thing, but he was kind of maybe because it was m- more uh, modern. Uh, he was, I don't know, rougher, and it wasn't quite as uh, romantic. It was tougher. But tell me about Hunter Thompson's uh, uh, Aspen connection and and what it means all the way down to today. Well, Hunter Thompson, in my judgment, was a bum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think he was a very good writer. You know, right. he, he certainly wasn't a journalist at all. He, his stories were contrived. They were staged. Right. But he came to Aspen in the late 60s, stayed for a couple of weeks, came back again uh, somewhere in the mid-70s and bought a property about 10 miles from Aspen and set up what he called his uh, armed fortress where he had a huge arsenal of guns and he played with them. And he also played with dynamite around the ranch. Mm-hmm. So he ran for sheriff too. He ran for sheriff of Pitkin County. He won the Aspen vote, but he lost countywide. So he didn't become sheriff, but he was a character. He finally ended his existence on this earth uh, in his kitchen. One day, his uh, daughter and son-in-law were in the next room and they heard a bottle uh, fall to the floor in the kitchen and explode. And eventually they went and checked on things, although they didn't run because, you know, apparently broken, uh, falling bottles in the kitchen were a common occurrence there at the, the ranch house. Right, right. So anyway, when they did go, they found it wasn't a falling bottle. It was a gunshot and he'd blown his brains out. Came out later that uh, he did so while he was on the telephone with his wife at the time. So piece of work, huh? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Glenn Beaton is our guest, and and uh, again, his he still writes the AspenBeat dot com is his uh, website. Um, so how do you? How, and this is how, a serious question: How do you live in Aspen after all these writings? Because you clearly didn't hold back, and I bet you didn't hold back when you wrote the column. But if I had to bet, I'd say sort of being canceled from the column, even if it was Christmas Eve, even if it hurt, you probably are freer now. You write whatever you want. So how do you live in Aspen? Are you are you uh, 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 feared and loathed by half the community? Well, at least at more. Least <laughs> um, you ask how I live in Aspen. I actually moved out of oh. city limits. Okay. So 
I live in a fairly remote spot, some ways out of town, which seems a little safer to me. I used to get death threats. I would regularly get death threats. Wow. Uh, when I went to a restaurant, I was always careful to make reservations not in my own name because <laughs> I didn't want them to know it was me until after they'd prepared and served me my food. And then they saw it on my credit card and gave me dirty looks. So, yeah, there was there was some friction for sure. It's still, as you mentioned at the outset, a beautiful spot. You said it wasn't hot when you were here. It's never hot when you're here. Yeah, right, right. No. You know, the, high, the, the summertime highs are going to be 80 at the highest and mm. fairly dry. And if you go out to dinner al fresco, you're going to need a sweater at night. It's a fantastic place. It's a beautiful place. But the people are pretty screwed up. I think it's mm. a, a sad uh, portrait of a path that a lot of America is headed down. Hmm. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, 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 as I'm sure you know, your writing style, it kind of moves along. Like you said, a columnist uh, does, and it's uh, entertaining and fascinating. And I think people I, like me, I, I bet a lot of people, they just know of Aspen. They might've been there once or not realized this sort of inside. So uh, it's really fun. So thank you. Post Hill Press again, uh, Glenn Beaton's book uh, we'll put up on social media. It's high attitude, the liberal takeover of Aspen, a celebrity cesspool, drugs and reverse racism collide. That's the uh, that's there's a, ma- a mouthful there. Thanks very much, Glenn. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ed. All right, we will uh, take a break. I'll put up some links on uh, uh, social media and on the website to get to his book. Uh, it's really fun and moves along. And we'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. We'll be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Conservative legislatures are slow to turn off the fire hydrant that is the transgender movement. The Republican Missouri State Senate adjourned in just one day in disarray rather than debate legislation to stop encouraging this harmful gender dysphoria in children. And this is certainly a moral evil that is worthy of any state legislature's time and effort. A Canadian physician who was a leader on transgender treatments decades ago admits now that it was a mistake. Dr. Susan Bradley flatly said, we were wrong. She continued by explaining that transgender treatments in children are not as reversible as we always thought, and they have longer-term effects on kids' growth and development, including making them sterile and quite a number of things affecting their bone growth. She went on and added, I had this skepticism in the back of my mind all the time that maybe we were actually colluding and not helping children who wanted to switch genders. His frank testimony from Dr. Bradley should give Republican state legislatures all the motivation they need. Republicans are in a majority in most state legislatures, yet last year, Texas Republicans transferred $105 million to the Texas Child Mental Health Consortium which partly funds promotion of transgenderism in schoolchildren. Legislation is being considered now in Texas to ban transgender procedures on children, as South Dakota enacted and Governor Kristi Noem signed. Even West Virginia, which reportedly has more transgender youths than any state, passed a bill banning transgender procedures on children. These good state laws are immediately challenged in federal court by the well-funded transgender movement. Donald Trump has the best record of any politician in making strong judicial appointments, which are needed now more than ever. We all see the problem and we all see the solutions. It may not be politically expedient with the media and the lobbyists, 
But voting Americans are waiting with open arms to reward those courageous leaders who will stand in the gap to defend our youth against this blatant child abuse. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The traditional family is the building block of our communities and country. That's why it's imperative to support strong marriages, respect fathers, and champion stay-at-home moms. At phyllisschlafly.com, we oppose the liberal attempt to redefine the family. To join us, visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, just got less than a minute. I didn't uh, count my minutes correctly. went over there. So listen, uh, two things. One, have a great weekend, everybody. We're heading into the uh, spring, excuse me, towards the summer, the end of spring and May flowers, April showers, bring May flowers. A couple of weeks till uh, Mother's Day. Have a great weekend. I hope people uh, get a chance to do some fun stuff and relax. Uh, Also, I just want to say thank you to the great Noah Dingley, our producer, and Ryan Hyde, associate producer. Both those guys do a great job. One is in San Diego. Uh, Noah Dingley, of course, produces Andrea Kay's show as well as his own work. And Ryan Hyde is out in St. Louis. And so we do a lot of stuff, not face-to-face, and it's super. So thank you to Noah. Thank you to Ryan Hyde. And thank you for listening. ProAmericaReport.com. Stay there. Go there. Sign up for the Daily Wink. And we'll be back next week. Ed Martin, ProAmerica Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>